Welcome to the Tiny Logic Podcast, where we have conversations with those on the front lines of the tiny house revolution. My name is Adam Garrett Clark. In 2015, I created a $300 a month housing opportunity for myself and five other friends in an off-grid tiny home community in Oakland, California. Since then, tiny homes have taken over my life. This show is for the tiny converted to talk shop and get us all housed. You can find more information about the work of Tiny Logic at tinylogic.ninja. Hey, just a quick note to all my loyal fans out there. You may have noticed that the original podcast was titled We Are Homeless and featured a brilliant song by Paul Simon. Uh, I decided to rebrand the show and call it Tiny Logic. Uh, to avoid any copyright issues in the future, though that song and the concept that we, as a human family, are homeless, I still think is strong. But sadly, I think most people wouldn't lean in to a podcast with the word homeless in it, unfortunately. So here we are. Uh, we're going to call all of the last seven episodes season one, and going forward, the show will be called Tiny Logic. And it will still be about getting us all housed and the uh, messiness of living tiny on wheels. Um, this episode is just me uh, talking about my journey with tiny homes and how it took over my life like a virus. Uh, enjoy. Normally this podcast is going to be a two-way conversation between me and someone else in the tiny house world. But today, I wanted to give you an introduction into my tiny house journey. Um, there's a book that I'm obsessed with right now. It's called KLF, Chaos Magic, and the Band Who Burned a Million Pounds. And it tries to answer the question of why this 90s British pop band went into a remote island warehouse in the middle of the night unloaded suitcases full of a million dollar a million pounds in cash and went about setting them all the cash on fire um, really the book is about ideas and the the way that ideas pop up in our human landscape and take on a life of their own um, and become and evolve into a living thing that that becomes a part of our reality and so today I want to tell you the story of how tiny homes took over my life. Um, and it really starts just east of the lake, Lake Merritt in Oakland, uh, sitting in my apartment, my one bedroom apartment with my girlfriend uh, in 2011, 2012 um, on YouTube. And that's, I think, how a lot of people's journeys started with tiny homes in the modern era. Uh, for me, it was, I was a, a pedicab driver and, and real quick, a pedicab is a, a big tricycle with seats on the back used for uh, transporting uh, usually tourists and drunk uh, sporting fans. And I was doing that uh, on the waterfront, making, uh, you know, kind of like a waiter's salary uh, in cash. So, you know, twenty-five to $30,000 a year. Uh, and... Uh, I was I was geeking out about environmentalism, watching a lot of videos on that, and I came across these tiny homes, and 
just to just to give you the landscape of the ideas in my in my brain at that point, I just um, you know I just come from from living in New York uh, during the Great Recession uh, in you know twenty eight two thousand eight to twenty ten um, and realized the you know the reality that if if everything goes to shit, kind of like how it things are now uh, during the pandemic, you know what how does electricity work? How does, uh, how is broccoli made? These were questions I was starting to really get serious about, uh, and, and dig into permaculture, uh, as well. And, uh, and realized I had no idea how to answer those questions with my very expensive liberal arts journalism degree. Um, and so I was seeking ways to get practical knowledge and, and I saw tiny homes as this, this great, uh, pathway into learning all of this stuff, forcing myself by by having to build one, which was which the most romantic vision I would say is, is to build one yourself. So there was that, and then there was also the fact that I was sitting in this apartment with my girlfriend, and and moving into it probably a year before this moment where I'm I'm on YouTube seeing these videos, I remember it felt like we were camping. We we, I remember like this, the grime on the, the blinds and on the surfaces that we had to wipe, quickly wipe down and kind of quickly set up our, our bed. And, and it just felt like uh, there was a lot of work and money that needed to go into that old building apartment. Um, and I remember as I was doing that, building shelves and figuring out how to deep clean the carpeting to get the dog smell out from the previous tenants. I remember going, hey, buddy, don't put too much into this because this is not yours. You're not going to be able to take this with you. But I realized with tiny homes, you can. You can put your, your heart and soul into the space, into your space and customize it. Uh, and it can go with you. And that, that was really, really beautiful for me. It, it wasn't – I was a backpacker. I'd spent like nearly two years in Central America. Uh, and it wasn't about travel for me because I – I knew uh, I didn't I didn't really I wasn't really drawn by the the ability to to constantly be on the road in my home. Uh, for me, it was really the security of having a home that you could take with you. Um, and so the other part of the landscape at that point was me and my girlfriend were not doing so well. And uh, I had there's probably about a year period where. And usually around the, the spring summer, where it was like, all right, like this is this is not working. I need to find another place. But like many people, uh, housing and the financial implications were all wrapped up in the relationship, and so it was a big move to re remove myself from that uh, apartment combo with my girlfriend. Uh, Would have thrown her life in, out of whack and mine as well. So. But I, I got to the point where I was going and exploring these other spaces to live, these attics and uh, these these weird situations to find something that was comparable to the roughly 600 bucks that I was paying and she was paying 600 bucks as well. Um, and uh, I remember seeing on Craigslist this opportunity to stay on a bus, on a bus with other people. Um in the middle of Oakland, and it was for this 
place called the place for sustainable living. And I, uh, I ended up talking on the phone with somebody who was managing this space. I think her name was Kat. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is this, you could do that. And, and it seemed like such a cool space, except for the idea of living on a bus with other people. Um, but you know, there was, I got invited to some documentary screening of like plastics or soil something. And I was like, wow, this sounds like an awesome space. But I never ended up going there that in that moment. Um, but later I would be, uh, become friends with, with the founders of that space and, and be invited to, to give talks years later. Um, and it's, it's a big inspiration, uh, as I, as I went through my, my journey, um, with, trying to figure out how to create communities for tiny homes. But um, so at this point, it was just all just these ideas that were starting to germinate. And uh, I ended up basically, well, okay, one one last idea is, is I I came across, I was getting really into biomimicry, which is uh, the idea that the, the design concept of, of, taking borrowing ideas from nature designs from nature um, structures concepts uh, surfaces textures and applying them to other pieces of technology or design uh, projects that you're doing so i i came across this article uh, about this place called the fish house in berkeley and got down the rabbit hole and, and got really into the guy who created this thing this thing called the fish house, which is this house designed to look like a tardigrade water bug, uh, which he felt was going to be the most indestructible design for earthquakes and tsunamis and all that. And he built it, this house for his parents in Berkeley. And I and I started to get deep into this guy. Uh, his name was Eugene Shui, uh, and he was a uh, champion uh, senior boxer. Uh, he, he, he walked around with this, this suit that looked like, like the Sergeant Peppers, uh, you know, from the Sergeant Peppers Beatles album, but it had solar panels all over it. And, uh, my takeaway was this guy is like the modern Buckminster Fuller. And I was really into Buckminster Fuller at the time. And, uh, I was like, wow, this, this guy is amazing. I'm so I, I contacted him. And I said, hey, I, I would love to work with you. I would love to maybe, you know, be an intern or something. Um, please let me know if there's things I should read or study to prepare to be of value to you. And, you know, he was like, oh, thank you. Da, 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 da. And then a couple months later, he calls me. And this is what kind of started really my path. Uh, he calls me and goes, Hey, I've, I've got this project out in Mount Shasta, and uh, we're gonna build this this personal living pod. It's gonna be this spherical building, and it's gonna have these walls that will uh, unfold or open up um, like a lotus flower leaf. And I was like, "Whoa, all right." And he's like, "I need your help. I want you to come out there and help me build this thing at my property in Mount Shasta." And uh, you got to pay me though, uh, for for your, uh, for your, you know, your expenses to stay out there. And, uh, and I need you to come out like in the next, in the next month. 
So this was like the fall of 2013. And, uh, and so me and my girlfriend at this point, we had kind of, we were kind of good, you know, we were kind of at this moment where we, we could probably, you know, go the whole way and do the marriage thing and yada, yada. And, uh, and so I told her, I, I'd like to take advantage of this opportunity and, um, and move out there for a bit. And, you know, let's, let's just look at this as kind of like a break. And she basically said, and I said, like, we'll figure it out. I'll just cover the rent. I'll cover my portion of the rent. Um, and she basically said, no, just like pack up all your stuff and, and let's make it a clean break. And so, um, so that's what I did. And, uh, you know, we had a good ending and crying and we, we, we loved each other. I still love her. And I think anyway, yada, yada, this is about tiny houses. (laughs) So I ended up getting, uh, getting out there on a bike, uh, I took a train onto Mount Shasta and it just turned out to not be what I thought it was going to be. It was a lot of work and it didn't seem like it was very, uh, thoughtful work. It wasn't going in a, you know, I, I spent a lot of time painting, um, lettering block letter styrofoam lettering with like uh textured concrete rather than you know i think addressing the the structural issues of this building concept um long story short it it didn't work out uh i spent about a month there i started to realize that uh some of the the stories about interns that were previously there that mysteriously left made sense to me um and uh and i I decided to leave, but there was a big takeaway that I learned from from my time with Eugene Chui, which was that you could be totally out of it, totally off kilter, totally disconnected from reality. And in some ways, I think he was. Uh, he did some interesting things, like he he would read backwards. Uh, he would read, you know, from left to right, and then, or sorry, he would write from left to right, and then right to left, and then left to right when he would write. He would only eat every other day. So he would just gorge himself one day and then totally fast the next. He uh, he changed the, the spelling of his name because he had a powerful dream that uh, Genghis Khan spoke to him and told him to to do that. Uh, and so anyway, he, he had a lot of, uh, I would say, mental health issues that were part of his genius, but also hard to work with. And what my takeaway was that he he was able to do really crazy and interesting projects because he just didn't give a fuck. Like he just like all those 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 reasons that most people don't go for it didn't stop him. And so he was he had some really brilliant ideas and um and and those became real like real projects. Like he did some real stuff in in China and. Uh, I took my takeaway was like, go for it, even if it's crazy, like there's some there's some power, there's some magic in pushing forward um, and seeing where things go. Anyway, I got out of that situation uh, in, a, in a pretty grand fashion, but maybe that's another story uh, for another time. And I ended up getting a, a ticket, a one way ticket to Australia. And I was going to just redo what I had done in, in Central America, which was uh just backpack around, find work, um, and, and find adventure. 
and uh, and so I went to Australia with the mission to learn permaculture, get my head around permaculture, and I started woofing on farms. Woofing is uh, willing willing workers on organic farms. It's a program where you can exchange your labor for uh, housing and and food uh, and uh, experience on the farm. Um, so it's it's a it's an exchange with the with the farmer. And, and yourself and a great way to travel, I would say. So I spent time living in very strange situations on farms, you know, um, elevated over uh, goat pens and in little back uh, greenhouse rooms that are, you know, semi enclosed um, and uh, little elevated sheds and stuff like that. And I was still getting really into tiny homes at this point. Um, in fact, the, one of the farms I spent two months at, um, uh, which was run by a brilliant farmer named Rod May, uh, who used to be uh, an inspector for organic uh, farms across the world. So he, his, and he, he had this family farm of hundreds of acres and his farm was just this collection of all the brilliant ideas uh, that he had seen around the world. Um, and he had this this uh, system of, of grazing his cattle and sheep um, on different plots, different paddocks, they say, in Australia, and uh, and then growing the next year uh, cover crop, and then um, and then growing uh, veggies. And and he he ran like a CS, what we would call a CSA, but they would they had a different term for it, it was more like a veggie box system. Um, and he had also visions of doing tiny homes there and, and he had the, one of Jay Schaefer's books. And, uh, anyway, that all came to a head, uh, in the summer of 2014, when I realized I was, I was playing poker to try to keep alive and, and, uh, running out of money and realizing I needed to get a job, probably move move on to Asia, which was my plan, and start community, start building uh, a network of people. I was getting lonely uh, out there living in Melbourne at the time in a in a in the living room of a, a big high-rise apartment with these two Chinese uh, uh, students who were who were studying in Australia. And, uh, and it occurred to me, I have this community back home already. I have my family. I have friends. I have this job, pedicabbing, which I love. And it's the middle of the summer, uh, which is the best time. And so instead of going and trying to create new community, which would have been great and fun in Asia, I decided to go back home and go back to the Bay. So I go back home in 2014 and all this, and I'm looking at the rental prices and I'm thinking, oh, there's no way. There's no way I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna pay this money to stay in a room. Like it was what was it was like a thousand dollars probably. Uh, to that's what my friends, some of my friends were paying to stay in a, a room uh, with with other people sharing an apartment. Um, I just I was in my I was 31 at the time. I'd been used to living on my own now for probably three or four years with my girlfriend. And so this tiny house idea pops up. And I had, I had seen a documentary about this couple who went to build a tiny house on their own on some farm property. 
and it the plan was three months and it ended up going like two years. So I knew with my limited building experience, no real space to build um, and no real budget, that there was no way that I was gonna build a house for myself to live in, uh, in any timely fashion. But I also realized that, wait a second, these RVs, these trailers, these are tiny homes. They have the tiny sink, they have the tiny shower, they have the, the tiny stove, they have all of the technology of a tiny home. They are the precursor of the tiny home. And in fact, I would define them as a tiny home uh, but that's maybe a different story, a different topic for another time. But I realized that they're just, they're, they are a tiny home. They are what I need. They are a housing product and they are all over the place, used, sometimes free, a couple thousand dollars, which was uh, what I was losing or winning at the poker table at that point. So I started searching Craigslist in Australia for what where the market was uh, and started to see that very often you could get one for maybe two to $5,000, but it's gonna have different issues that may have different costs associated. You might have to redo the engine or it's got a leaky roof. And so you're trying to find, I realized the game that I was playing was I'm trying to find the one with the least issues that is gonna cost me money uh, or issues that I don't mind having be issues. Like an, an engine not running wasn't really a big thing for me because I was realizing, I was thinking based on my experience with finding out about the place that there was just plenty of places where you could just park, park a bus or an RV and, and live out of it. That was my assumption, which was totally wrong. But uh, so anyway, I found one. I I well I, I found I found the game that I was playing to find the best deal. And then even sent my dad out while I was still in Australia waiting for my flight to get back to go take a look at a couple. And then right not maybe a couple days after I got back, I found one that just got posted. And I and I was like the first guy to contact this guy. And he way undervalued it. It was 1200 bucks. And it was had no issues. It said it ran beautiful, very minimal uh, rain damage in like a corner or two of the roof. And I knew this was a screaming deal. And I got him to commit to giving me the first right of, uh, give me the first shot at it. And I said, I would come out there, uh, I think like two days later, and I came out with my dad and, uh, and I had cash, poker cash. And I remember I had so many, um, prices and different um, units in my head, like backup units that I was going to buy, that I actually thought that it was 1400 And so I just gave the guy 1400 And then he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. And he, and he, he was like, you, you gave me too much. And he gave me the extra 200 bucks. Um, and when we had come down there, he, he uh, had somebody there before we got there who was ready to go. And he kept to his word uh, that he committed to giving me the first uh first crack at it and and told the, that guy to go away so anyway we drive that thing down it stalls on the uh 880 right right in front of the uh 
the exit from my former apartment off of Fifth Avenue, and uh, and we I, we were we could hear ourselves on the on the news. There's a stalled RV in the middle of 880. It was like rush hour, and um, and I was driving my dad's uh, hybrid behind the RV. Anyway, we we get the thing uh, back to my dad's house in San Leandro, and uh, and I go about the next two weeks or so just trying to build it out, um, making cushions for it, making curtains for it, just trying to test out the systems in it. Um, and I only had two weeks because my dad had just sold his house and moved in with his wife uh, or soon-to-be wife. And uh, the the closing process was, was two weeks before it was tra- transferring. So I had two weeks to stay at this house uh, and fix up my RV. And then I had to find a place to put it. And uh, it wasn't going so well on Craigslist. And so I uh, I started to reach out to um i read well i reached out to a woman who i worked with at the crucible because i i got i knew i knew that like burning man people would probably be know where i could burning man hippie people would find would know where the spots are the crucible and american steel are both uh well american steel no longer but they were both um big spaces uh, for industrial arts. So, uh, and, and a big draw for, for the Burning Man um, culture uh, to to work on bigger projects, usually involving welding and, and sculpture. Um, and I used to volunteer at the Crucible for a long time. And she said, yeah, just put up a flyer around the Crucible, probably put one up at American Steel and see what happens. So I did that, I, I put this little flyer up, uh, just drew this little cartoon of myself and just said 30 something quiet cool guy looking for a place to park his rv in my life and i get contacted by this uh this woman who named heather uh who uh was running a space just across the street from american steel and they uh she and, and luke eisman were uh building out their company box house which was a, a, a shipping container to tiny home company that they were building out and they were leasing space a lot just across the street and they were living out of their unit uh they had a couple other units that they were were allowing to to for people to live out of in these containers and i moved in i was the first rv to move into their space and uh anyway fast forward six months later Two other pedicabbers uh, have moved into this space in their van and RV. Uh, some other people have moved in as well, friends of, of people in the community, and it's grown to 10, 10 or so units, 10 people, uh, pretty disorganized, uh, lots of just chaos around. No, um, not much as far as facilities or infrastructure either. I mean, I, I couldn't get internet in the corner where I was, I had to work from my phone. Um, I had to get on my bike and ride up to Target to take a dump. Uh, I built with a, a pedicab um, welder friend of mine, a a trailer that could uh, take a, a 55 gallon blue barrel um, and connect to my bicycle. And then I would ride it conveniently a few blocks to my sister's place where she was renting and fill up 
fresh water and then ride it back. And then my dad helped me rig up a pump and we would pump, I would pump the water from the blue barrel into my onboard RV tank. Uh, and then within the RV, there was a pump to get water pressure. And so that's how I got water. And then water out was, was gray water. And my dad, who had some electrical background, um, helped me figure out how to piece together parts from Amazon, um, a charge controller and solar panels and how to how to get energy so I could get solar energy feeding my my batteries so I could keep my water pump going and charge my phone a little bit and run some lights. And so I was off to the races. And uh, anyway, six months or so in, Libby Schaff has her inauguration inaugural event at American Steel. And there is a ton of city people crawling around our space, poking in, poking their noses into the fence holes, looking at what's going on in here. And um, the theory is it's, it was either that event or it was the fact that Luke had uh, rent, Luke with some other people had bought a piece of land a few blocks away and was starting another community there. Uh, and was getting pretty, um, had had pissed off the neighbors pretty quickly, whether it was loud welding uh, or smells from fish emulsion because they were trying to um, regenerate the, the heavy metals in the soil or clear the hot heavy metals. The neighbors called it in, and that's the story usually of how tiny home dreams come crashing down. Neighbors called it in the laws are uh very prohibitive of trailers uh poor people and uh so they cracked down and and cracked down on our lot and so we had and that was running along the same lines of the fact that the, the lot had sold and we had we had known that there was like this potential six month fuzzy timeline where we had to leave um, because the, the land, the, the sold land was going to change hands. And so we thought we had this six month rough timeline. Um, and all of a sudden we got notice in February, uh, the beginning of February or late January of 2015 that we had a month to be out. So we needed to be out by the end of February of 2015. And we go, we scramble, we're looking, we're thinking, Maybe we just do it on the street. Maybe we just park in a flotilla and, you know, we all watch each other's backs. Um, we were all really into living tiny at this point. And, and a community was starting to form, you know. I remember my friend Pinto had, like, went and just bought a bunch of rocks uh, from Home Depot and arranged them in a in a beautiful way to navigate the puddle that was forming in the entryway of the of the space. And um, and I was starting to see this 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 bubbling up of this idea of, of community um, that I I had experienced in various parts of my life and definitely saw some stuff in Australia when I was I was woofing with David Holmgren, the one of the originators of, of the permaculture concept. Um, and he had started a, a big community and I went went uh, in Australia um I remember spending some time with him out there and seeing 
just seeing kind of the the realization of of some of these these bigger visions uh and also some of the some of the drama the underlying drama that you don't you know people don't always talk about when they promote this stuff but anyway we got down to 4 days before we had to be out of there 4 days and at this point i had given up on all these various ideas i remember we were we got really serious uh about going to this lot behind Q's, uh cow palace i want to say or no candlestick behind candlestick park in san francisco there was like this greek mob guy who was connected to one of the guys one of the characters at our lot and supposedly like we could lease this space and i remember checking it out with my dad and trying to figure it out uh but then that fell through and at this point i had basically given up on trying to find a space for the 10 of us and um i was like i got to find a space for just me and my two pedicab buddies and uh it'll be it can be a smaller you know easier find cuz it's just got to accommodate three units and so i'm 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 walking dogs at this point uh a lot um house sitting and i'm walking a dog stevie um was the beautiful dog and we're walking around west oakland in the lower bottoms and i see this lot i mean i saw a couple lots but i saw this lot and i can I could just see it had big tall fencing. It was deep in a residential area, so there's not a lot of people to piss off. And uh you can see through the gates like this jungle of weeds and a big like 10,000 square foot lot and piles of wood and I could just I could see our units there. And uh I I scrambled and started to contact real estate agents and I um couldn't get anybody to really give me the time of day because they could tell I wasn't going to be a commission for them. But I found this one young woman, um, Nicole Wilhelm, actually, and she she t- gave gave me some time and I gave her a couple addresses and she looked them up and uh, gave me the owner's contact info. And uh, I Googled the owner um, and he happened to own a, a construction company. So I called him, I called the number and boom, all of a sudden I'm talking to this guy and I give him a pitch. And uh, the next day I meet up with him. And um, before that I go, I go to my buddies, uh, Pinto and Joshua, we get into his, his big bus RV and, uh, and I explain, hey, I got this, I got this guy, I got this lot, we're gonna go meet, I'm gonna meet him tomorrow. And I remember my buddy Pinto goes, give him cash, show him cash. And so he pulls out like, I think, I think we were, the number we were working with was a thousand. And so he pulls out like 300 bucks and gives it to me. Joshua goes into his van, pulls out 300 bucks, gives it to me. We had this other guy, Evan. I'm pretty sure he went and got me 300 bucks. And so I I had a thousand dollars cash. Um, and uh i go and i meet with him and uh negotiate i wasn't good at the negotiation piece of this we started talking about how there needed to be some clearing done because there was uneven terrain there was mounds there was a bunch of car parts because this 
lot used to be a junkyard, so there was stuff everywhere. There ne- needed to be some earth moving. And he goes, all right, I'll, I can uh, I can give you the space. I can do the earth moving uh, for fifteen hundred. Uh, and we were working with a thousand at that point. Uh, and instead of pushing back on that or saying like, okay, well, you're just going to do this one effort and then you're going to lock me into like 50% more, uh, for perpetuity. That doesn't, you know, let's re- let's revi- revise that. I just was like, okay. And so I committed to 1500 and I realized I need to bring in a couple more people, um, and that it could, we could fit them. And we were off and a couple days later, he did the bare minimum of smoothing out. We still had a lot of uneven ground and pieces of rebar and stuff popping out of the spate of the soil. But uh, it was a start and my dad and I um, drove my rig down. And uh, and then I had this, this realization of moving, you know, that sensation of moving, we all do it but not having to unpack, not having to deal with all that bullshit. I was, everything was set. My bed was there. All my food was in its pantry. My fridge was all set up. I was good. I just had a different view out my window. Um, and I think I had to like set my solar panels up again. Um, but that was it. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. This is cool. So that, started a, a five-year journey that we, we, we sit at today um, where that community is still alive. We, just a quick sort of cliff notes of that, and then I'll wrap up here is we, we got internet before we got water. We got, uh, we got a porta potty service. Uh, we run water, gray water style. We eventually built a, a communal shower. Um, we, got chickens pretty early on uh, and then the chickens went away and then um, I got ducks and kind of was the manager of ducks and we had ducks for many years. Um, we had rabbits for a brief moment, uh, bees, uh, lots of space for growing food and, um, you know, it was set up like a, in a horseshoe format around the edges of the lot with a big open space in the center for, um, movable pots, garden pots. And it was really the first time that I was able to experiment with, with, with agriculture, with growing, growing my own food in a, in a serious way. I had spent some time in that apartment with my girlfriend back east of the lake, developing a, an aquaponics system. And that was like my first real project, getting, getting uh, practical and figuring out plumbing and going to Home Depot and stuff like that. But um yeah that just went to a whole nother level in this in this tiny home community um just the experience of of trying to keep your house running and having your sink go down or your your electrical having to troubleshoot you're just forced to learn all these really practical skills and the other major takeaway that i got from this journey which i didn't expect but I think was prob is probably the most powerful um, side effect of this whole thing, which is the the living in community piece. Um, it like the first off the network effect or the uh, 
you know, having having a group of people that you feel like would say something if you just didn't show up for a couple nights, you know, or would bring you soup and Gatorade if you get really sick. Um, that's huge. And then a lot of what, as I understand it, like it's a big part of it's a big ingredient necessary for a healthy, happy life. Um, and I didn't really get that at the time, but but that kind of was built into this this whole thing. And the other thing is is living in community. You're forced to really face up to your shit, your bullshit, and your patterns, and um, and you get some some reality checks, some feedback pretty quickly on how to be a better person, how to have better conversations, how to compromise better, um, how to be more empathetic and how to be more aware of perspectives that aren't your own. So I never really went in valuing those lessons or those um, aspects. I was really more looking for a way to create cheap uh, housing for myself uh, that was, that was eco-friendly. That was where I felt like I was doing my part to limit my, my personal impact on the environment and um, exploring technology that that might be useful uh, for other people. That was that was my draw. Was the sort of the practical engineering stuff. Uh, but uh, the other part of it, uh, I think, in the end, ends up being the most most valuable part of this. And so now here we are. It's 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 2021. We this lot has been around uh, and had many characters in and out of it and served as a affordable space for people. We've had Sprinter vans, we've had uh, box trucks, we've had tiny homes on wheels that you would see on HGTV, uh, tra- lots of travel trailers and RVs, lots of fights, lots of lovely moments by the fire, lots of deep conversation, um, and. At this point, actually, I just recently moved my mom, my 62-year-old mother, uh, into my trailer. Um, I don't live there anymore. And uh, it it was the only place she could go because uh, she's, she's been dealing with housing issues for a while. Um, and uh, we, have, we have code enforcement on our backs at this point. We have $3,000 worth of fines. We, we have... Uh, we have a vacant lot tax against us as well. So the, the city is on the one hand uh, in the middle of the pandemic telling us to move out based on their uh, anti-poverty uh, laws uh, that say the trailers can't exist in, uh, in a reputable space like Oakland um, and people can't live out of them. Uh, but meanwhile, we have the housing crisis that is shown up on our streets which was already ridiculously out of control before the pandemic has just accelerated. Um, and we have on the edges of usually, yeah, on the edges of the Bay, on the edges of Oakland, on the edges of most most of the cities in the Bay, but definitely in Oakland, uh, you have these large flotillas of, of homes on wheels. Uh, some are well-organized, some are total shit shows. Um, and these folks are really on the front lines of this revolution and they are pushing this vision by necessity um, of where we're going. And I think not just me, but many people are saying that we're, we're 
buckling up for a, a huge eviction uh, wave in the next couple months uh, in 2021. And more and more people are going to be seeking out this very practical housing technology, which is the trailer, the RV, the tiny home. And I, I put those all in the same category. And I say tiny home because that's that gives it a, a nice middle class sheen uh, because class is a big deal for us. But anyway, I'm talking too much. I think you get the idea. This is uh, this was my my tiny house journey. Uh, thanks for listening. This show is going to be um, really a tour of the cast of characters that are part of this movement in the Bay Area and beyond. Um, I've spent a lot of time um, getting to know a lot of these crazy characters and hearing their stories, and I'm excited to share them with everybody, with the world, uh, and 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 learn more from people in this space. And there's a lot, there's a lot of stories that are yet to to unfold. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening. If you've got ADU or tiny home questions, give me a shout at tinylogic.ninja.